0: This is your host, Sophia Nelson, and welcome to the One America Podcast. This is a special segment, actually two segments that we're going to have throughout the following week, and my guest is Mr. Butch Porter. Butch is the founder of InDead. Uh, It is an alternative to homeschooling and private schools in the form of micro schools and nano schools. You can already tell he's really smart, right? Butch holds a degree from Louisiana State University in physics and astronomy in his undergrad and an MBA from USC. Uh, But what I love about Butch is uh, he's an American conservative. He's definitely to the right of my center, but uh, I was a guest on his podcast, Rules of the Game, and I really enjoyed the dialogue that we had. And we were able to do it at Dodonna Manor here in Leesburg, Virginia, which is the home of... Uh, General George C. Marshall, uh, who is in the Epploribus One book, as you know, featured as one of the great Americans who I believe helped to make this great country what it is. And so I'm looking forward to our conversation. In this first segment, we are going to talk about the 2020 election from the standpoint of the Trump voter. Butch did not vote for President Trump in 2016, but he did vote for him in 2020, which is something I personally find fascinating. And I want to know more about how he evolved from that place to this place. I want to hear about the Trump voter. I want to hear about why people supported this president. Why 73 million, 74 million almost voters voted for President Trump in the second round. So, uh, Butch, welcome to the show. And yes, I hit record this time. We're recording. Excellent. Well, uh, Glad to
1: be here. Thanks for having me.
0: So, let me ask you the first question. Again, fascinating to me that you were not a Trump supporter in 2016, but you did vote for him in 2020. Why don't you set the table for us and and help me understand how you got from A to B?
1: Well, I'm happy to do that. I don't think it's quite as important as as uh, why the 74 million people... I'm not normal, right? I mean, <laughs> you know, the way I vote for president, I may not be a representative, uh, so... But for me, uh, I didn't, I felt like he was a risk in, in 2016. You say America conservative. One of the unique things about American conservatism is that it is very serious about limited government, right? And so uh, Trump was not. Trump was probably one of the least limited government presidents uh, in our lifetime. Um, one of the least, in other words, less limited than the one before, than the one before, than the one before. The before they all gotten a little more aggressive from an executive overreach standpoint yeah. so I wasn't a fan of his and I was very vocal about it and so I didn't make a lot of friends on the right for that they felt like it was too much of a risk for Hillary Clinton to become president Earth, but the risk for from my point of view the risk of him was twofold. one was an overarching risk that he would be a little more um, totalitarian if you will than taste, but also that he would be a threat to, um, you know, what I would consider the limited government movement. In other words, the whole, uh, you know, trying to reduce the size and scope of the federal government is something that America considered have been fighting for for a long time, somewhat unsuccessfully. Right. So I felt he was a real threat to that because if the only party that holds that limited government mandate is no longer holding it, then there isn't any. So the short version, and we have limited time. So the short version is that that risk, I mean that damage has already been done. Like the damage he's done to the Republican Party is not is I don't I don't think gonna go away anytime soon. And I looked at the other side of the aisle and I didn't see anything that would convince me that um, that they would you know that they would do any better on any of those fronts. And if you add to that. The peace deals in the Middle East, reduction of the uh, corporate income tax to 21%, which was, you know, even Barack Obama said that was something we needed to do, but he didn't, wasn't able to do it, Um, and many other things, uh, three good Supreme Court uh, justice appointees, uh, from my point of view, I felt like it didn't make a lot of sense, you know, not not to vote for him again, but we had those two choices, there was no third choice emerging. So I had to hold my nose and vote for, vote for Donald Trump. Uh, it didn't really matter. I'm in mean, Virginia. You know, we all knew that right. Biden was going to win Virginia. But, but still, that's not how we should vote, right? We should vote assuming that our voice matters.
0: Right. Let me ask you this. Do you think that there needed to be... I mean, I've heard a lot of people say the similar thing, that we really need a third party, that those of us, particularly, I think, who find ourselves in the center... Politically or, or maybe even more libertarian, if you will. Um, I certainly agree with you a thousand percent with the limited government. I, I think we need term limits. I think I would like to see money get out of politics in the way that I think it's offensive. Uh, some of these Senate races, I mean, you know, the guy in South Carolina, Jamie Harrison, raised $60 million and got beat by 13 points. And, you know, Susan Collins' opponent up in Maine who's the Speaker of the House, had a, a balance of $14 million on hand after the election. You know, there's too much money in politics, and I think that uh, government has gotten out of control. It's been out of control probably since FDR's administration and grown steadily between FDR and Johnson. Government has exploded uh, and and continues to. You're right. So do you think there needs to be a third option politically, and do you see that happening? what? Yeah. Pardon me. I've been involved in third options before, and, and I've decided that that's probably not something that's going to happen in the short term. It's kind of a
1: really complicated topic, but I do think that um, I don't think that the money in politics or the term term limits, you know, like campaign financial reform or, or term limits, is really the answer. Uh, I think, and this is the short version. I think the the answer is that states need to step up and start asserting. Authority again, right? I think states need to stop taking federal money for everything uh, and start um, taking charge of the things that that are not the purview of the federal government. Um, I mean, I've always said that the first the first state that turns down Medicaid money is going to be where I move. <laughs> um,
0: Good luck has, with that and, one.
1: And I know that's that's crazy, and it sounds. You know sounds heartless and cruel and crazy but and, and impossible uh but the truth is there are things that the federal government really shouldn't be doing uh and states are better equipped and they have better tools look at look at what's happening with with the uh, with coronavirus right we've discovered much to our to my joy and surprise um, that the federal government, when it comes to health care, really, and, and even public safety, doesn't really have the ultimate authority. The ultimate authority is with, with governors and, 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 and in conjunction with that.
0: I agree.
1: Mayors um, and county executives. That's who's in charge when it comes to, you know, the big things. Um, short mm-hmm. of a, you know, a military invasion, that's the, that's the reality. And I'm not sure that's a bad thing i think that's a good thing i think you find out who you're you know if your governor is dumb you find out if your mayor is dumb you find out (laughs) uh and we found out this year there's a lot of dumb governors and mayors and a lot of power hungry governors and mayors uh and i haven't seen any of that sort of question during the pandemic at least related to the pandemic from the white house i've seen it from governor's mansions so i'm not and I think that's a good thing. I think that there's, we have these 50 labs that we can, you know, we can experiment with. And I think we've, when you say from FDR to FDR to who, it, it exploded LBJ, it exploded, yeah. I mean, yeah. through the LBJ. Yes, you're right. That, but that is, is, you know, very much
0: um, a function of taking power away from people in states. So okay. that's. So let's unpack that, because that's a good lead into where I want to go next. Look, if we look at the uh, final polls and the election results, we know that Republicans in the House did a lot better than they were expected to do. They gained seats and I think there's, what, like a 20 different seat margin now so Nancy Pelosi's power shrunk uh, a lot Uh, There will be a tight margin in the House of Representatives and there will be an exceptionally tight margin in the Senate. If the Democrats win in Georgia, it'll be 50-50 with Kamala Harris being a very powerful vice president, casting deciding votes all the time. And if not, it'll be a 52, uh, I guess, what, 48 or 51, 51, 40 something because of the special election in Arizona and uh the astronaut Mark Kelly has already been sworn in taking John McCain's old seat so sure. you're looking at divided government but what I love about that is that that means that the, the guys the blue dog Democrats and the moderate or, or centrist Republicans can get together in both instances and basically run run the yard right because they'll be able to build the coalition <laughs> yeah I, I think that might have been true a few years ago um... The blue dog Democrat is is an endangered species. True, I think there's, true. I think
1: uh, I think there's more, you know, black uh, African rhinos uh, in Toledo than there are. Um, <laughs> i just I was trying to think of a uh, of a uh, very
0: rare uh, animal, uh, and that's. <laughs> animal. In other words, you're um, saying there's you'd have a better chance of spotting a. A, a wild zebra creature in Toledo, Ohio, than you would of getting one sure. of those. Right, no, right. No, I, I want to make sure no, I clean that up for you. I don't want people to hear what you said wrong.
1: Well, the, yeah, I know. I got you. Well, the point is, there's no, there, there's no, there's no blue dog Democrats left. The last
0: Abigail Spanberger Democrats here in Virginia, just, right, would be considered what, one. What's that? I, I think Abigail Spanberger here in Virginia would be considered one.
1: Yeah, maybe. I, I'm not sure. I think the I think that bar has been moved over a little bit. Well, let's stick
0: know that with the, that. I The last,
1: last pro life Democrat just got beat.
0: Right. Uh, in so, the primary. Right. And I also think there aren't very many pro choice Republicans left. So so let's stick with that and let's sure. go. No, that's true. Yeah. So I think that I was talking to a good friend of mine who's been on this podcast, Rachel Pearson, who's the uh, founder of Engage for Women and she said to me, we talked about this, and she said, you know, Sophia, for the first time, the Republican Party, like 20 years ago, had 40, 50 um, Republicans who were pro, pro-choice in the Senate and in the House, she said, and now there are none, and, and the same is true as you're saying for the Democrats, where there used to be some pro-life Democrats, and there are none. So yeah, and
1: just to be clear, I'm not saying that the abortion issue is the singular issue. Oh no,
0: no, no, no! I don't, I, I don't it's think you are. Right? No, no. I was just yeah, making a the tone. point where I want to go next, which is that we're very polarized. So, what I want you to help my audience understand is, like I said, if you look at this past cycle, Republicans did better, and they're attributing that to a couple things. Uh, the messaging from the Republicans was very focused that socialism was used a lot as a word um criminal justice and safety from the standpoint of the democrats saying defund the police and that really i think was ridiculous from the outset and backfired on them. barack obama president obama has been very vocal about that from day one and now and he's taken a lot of heat but he's right on this That's just a dumb thing to say. That's a losing proposition. And so I want to talk about those two things from your vantage point as someone that voted for Trump this time and help us understand how that message resonated. Did it resonate with you? Um, And do you understand why it might have resonated with others?
1: Okay, which message? We message from the Trump
0: administration? No, no, the the social, the socialism, the, the what was used. The Republicans really ran on the Democrats are oh, going to bring you socialism. Okay, okay,
1: well I don't. All right, so that's a that's an interesting question. I, I don't know that anybody's messaging really really made a difference to me. Right. Uh, I do think it it does make a difference in general. Um, we can parse about what socialism means till doomsday uh, and I, I just I know that people overuse the term mm-hmm. um, but it's usually because it's the, the left has trouble deciding how it wants to treat it and since it doesn't know how it wants to treat the term then it gives Republicans a uh, a tool of leverage yeah. to use it against them so right. let me put it to you this way if you if in the same breath Say that of course Joe Biden doesn't want socialism. How dare you say that? And then, like, like literally in the same sentence, say socialism really isn't that bad as long as it's done just a little bit, you right. know, blah blah. blah. Right. Then that that really you can't. That's untenable. Mm-hmm. So either the left, and I, I do put a lot of responsibility on the way the left messages, uh, and I think there's a, there's a tendency. There's this, there's this Republican's pounce concept in modern media where Democrats do something really stupid then Republicans are accused of pouncing on it instead of focusing on the stupid thing the Democrats do. And so, uh, which is a lot of fun. I mean, Republicans pounce or Republicans seize. It's one of the most common headlines in modern modern politics because they don't want to talk about the dumb thing that was done. They want to talk about how the Republicans are shamelessly taking advantage of it, right? right? So in the case of socialism, what you have is Republicans are shamelessly and rightly and properly. Taking advantage of the fact that the left doesn't know know what to do with the democratic socialist you know
0: AOC squad types because everybody knows, including Miss Spanberger, that that dog is not going to hunt. Right, get into. She said that. In fact, as uh, you know, she was overheard yeah. on a recording railing with that blue dog caucus. The, the what's left of them. You're right, yeah. and and what they're saying is, hey, those of us who are in suburban districts in. And in, in places where, look, and look, let me say this context for listeners, folks, if you go look at a map of Virginia and you look at our elections map, the state is red, Richmond and below, but it's so blue in the, the Richmond and above that, you know, one quarter of our vote here is, is won or lost in Northern Virginia. And so my point is, is that those Democrats who are running downstate in a state like this and in places like Georgia and Arkansas and you know Tennessee, the state. yeah. They they they're, they they don't want to hear defund the damn police. That's not going to work out good for them, right?
1: Well, no, it's it's idiotic, right? Cause yeah. You, and if you go to those neighborhoods, if you go to those neighborhoods, then um, and you ask citizens if they want the police to go away, uh, very very few of them are going to go. Oh yeah, yeah we just don't, we don't need police here. Now, many of them would say quite the opposite. I grew up in a city that was very. Uh, with a lot of racial strife, you know, Shreveport, Louisiana, right? It's 50% black, 50% white, it's been like that for 40 years, my, my whole life
0: at least. And um, it's, you know, it's, there, there are neighborhoods that are, you know, it's contentious, right? Yeah. There's, sure. it's, it's not, it's not a great... Uh, it, it would not be a good idea to stop
1: patrolling those neighborhoods altogether. Right. right. That just well, but let me
0: say it. this then, because I think you set the table right and I think you've really zoomed in instead of debating what socialism is. And again, folks, I would encourage you to learn about these different terms of art, whether it's communism, socialism, democracy, what a republic is, what a parliamentary system is. These are basics that I talk about in E Pluribus 1. And I I really think there are a lot of good books out there. There's a lot of good podcasts. There's a lot of good stuff that you can read that doesn't have a political slant to it. It's just going to give you the base definitions. And I think that, but you're right, that we can debate that. But what you said, I think is profound and I want to amplify this, which is that you're saying that it's really a messaging issue and that the Democrats have fumbled this thing with defund the police and Medicare and, and, and uh, you know, the health care debate or, 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 or canceling student debt, whatever it is, and the Republicans have simply seized on it. Is that what I heard you say?
1: Well, <laughs> well no, I wouldn't say that that's the real message here. I would say that that's what... That's what the media wants everyone to believe, and there is obviously an element of truth to it. I'm just I'm talking about politics, right? But the truth is that there's a there's a philosophy problem. There's a there's an there's an idea problem, right? I mean,
0: break that down, please. What's that? Break that down. I want to get to the get to what I want to know and what everybody wants to know is why did the socialism thing stick? And I want to know what's in the mind of a Trump voter since you were one, given all his issues, all his drama, what would possess anybody to vote for him? I'm asking it because I want to know.
1: Well, this is two, that is two separate issues, right? All right, we'll break
0: them down. Okay, so first, let me stay on the socialism thing. With the
1: AOCs of the world, I mean, she's a prominent member of the Democratic Socialists of America. Okay? So, go to the website and and find out what they believe it is socialism i mean they, they are fans of socialism they do say that they don't want to take take away private property yet like literally yet like right now we're going to we're going to we're okay with private property but eventually let's be serious obviously that's going to go away too that's the kind of mindset that the squad and the progressive left have the democratic party look we've been here for years about how how right-wing the Republican Party has become. There is some truth to that, but the voice of progressive leftists on the Democrat side is, is very, very loud bound right? Mm-hmm. It's one of the reasons why the um, the primary was so weird, is because, you know, everybody had to, had to go left, like, hard left. Um, you know, Warner wasn't always hard left. She became that way through the course of the camp- campaign. You know, much like um, four years ago, Ted Cruz went hard you know, hard to the uh, you know, evangelical Christian right because that's what he needed to get. He didn't get it. So the point is, is that socialism as a term is something to your point that most people don't really understand, and they abuse it. And I mean everybody, like left, right, middle, indifferent, everybody abuses the term. And so once, once it becomes an undefinable term, the politicos are gonna use it however they see fit. Hmm. And so but I think the problem is not that Republicans took advantage or pounced or seized, but that but that the Democrats don't have a clear message on the limiting the limiting principles of their policies. Hmm. They don't have a limiting principle. What is the point past which the government can no longer make decisions on a certain issue stop and there
0: is for a minute just pause because sure. I like that so so folks listen this is important stuff you need to be paying attention that's why I wanted to have this dialogue listen you all know where I am I'm a sinner I'm a sinner definitely lean a little right on some issues I lean a little center left I'm a woman of color of course there are going to be issues for me that will be untenable for me in the current landscape of the Republican Party but that's another podcast for another day. Having said that, he makes a very important point that I think we need to hear because I think that the assumption right now, Butch, and I don't like this, is that the 74 million people who voted for President Donald Trump are somehow racist, anarchist, uh, you know, just every negative word you can think of, and, and I don't think that's fair, and I don't think that's true. I think that... You have a lot of his voters who may fit into this category, like we talked about, of extreme. You know, they want to embrace Confederate flags and all that kind of stuff. Okay, put them kind of in a corner. But I think most people probably fell with exactly what you're breaking apart, which is this notion that there's real fear, right? And I want you to help me with this and help my listeners. There's real fear on the part of tens of millions of Americans in this country that the government has gotten too big, too out of control and they're coming for your stuff. Is that really what this breaks down to? No, I don't think it's a fear of the size of government. If that was the case, it would
1: have nominated virtually anyone else than Donald Trump. I, I wish that was the fear. I wish that was it. Uh, that's not it. But that's my fear.
0: Take... But anyway, go ahead.
1: Well, it'll it'll take the second segment to, to parse into a lot of what you said there. But, but for now, what I want to say is that... <sighs> Let me let me introduce it and then we'll have to
0: finish. Okay, it no, good. We're we're going. You, you got segment. some time. Go ahead.
1: Okay, so yeah, I can only introduce this topic. So it's going to take the second segment to to parse it all out, and it's going to and it may not you may not like it, but I'm just it's going to be fun. I promise. Um, so if if your listeners have watched the movie Brexit, uh, there's a, it's an HBO show. I encourage anybody who has HBO to watch the movie Brexit. Benedict Cumberbatch plays the uh, the campaign director yes, yes. for the Brexit
0: campaign, right? Mm-hmm. For the, the Leave
1: campaign. I think they called it the Leave campaign. Yes. So there's a Leave campaign or a Remain campaign. Have you seen it, Sophia?
0: I have. I thought it was outstanding actually. Go ahead.
1: Okay, there's a scene. This is good. No, thank God. That helps a lot. So there's a scene in the movie where the Remain campaign uh, uh, director, I can't remember the guy's name. He is There's this focus group of, of, you know, voters, British voters, that they have, it's like six or seven of them, there's a woman of color, there's there's a man of color, there's an older white guy, there's a middle-aged white lady, and there's a couple other people, an immigrant from, you know, Asia or something, and it's this very diverse group, okay? Mm -hmm. And so they're having this thing, this, this focus group, and at some point the Remain campaign breaks all the rules and goes in and starts trying to you know, to, to give them his truth, right, to mm-hmm. so go ahead and, you know, explain to them what's, what's really true, mm-hmm. and at some point, one of the, I think, that the, one of the immigrant voters turns to, um, turns to the white lady and says something dismissive, something...
0: Right, I remember what you're talking about, it was, okay. it, so it, yeah, she, definitely, yes, I remember. Com-
1: she completely and totally loses
0: her stuff, yep, right, she I did. Mean, just loses it and she says
1: over and over again don't i have a voice don't i don't i matter don't i matter or something like that it's a powerful scene but the most yes. important part to remember is the scene after where he's monologuing i mean he's talking to his staff member or whatever for the sake of the, of the movie but it's really a monologue where he's explaining where all that came from and what's amazing about that interchange about that that monologue is that he obviously has no freaking idea where it came from. And it's obvious that the producers of the movie have no freaking idea where it came from. They assume that it's some you know, it's 20, 30 years of racist indoctrination from the evil forces, that blah, 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 blah. Right. And that's not actually I'm, I'm sure there's some of that, of course there is, but there's not. that's not really the problem here. And it's a very and it was it hit me in the face, you know, like a wet squirrel. That it, it, that that's the problem here is that people are making assumptions about how people um, decide things and what how they really feel about things. And, and, and a lot of it is a lot of it is at, at the very least um, a lack of respect. And at
0: at its worst and very commonly uh, dehumanizing. So so stop there. Stop. Put a pen in that. This this is what I like to do like Oprah, but I don't want to miss stuff when you say something important. So again, actually, you and I do agree then with what my lead in was, which is I do not believe that all of these people that voted for Donald Trump did so because they were racist. I think that the shit that comes out of his mouth can be racist, offensive it disgusts me and appalls me. That's not the point. The point is you're making a very important point here by raising this issue in the Brexit movie that's on HBO and I do I recommend everybody watch it because the Brexit issue I think I think we're close to being in some we're we're not a part of the European Union right so we don't have that um how do I want to say this because we're the United States of America we're not a part of that we're not a conglomerate of of countries and you could argue NATO and some of the other things we're part of but that's different those are strategic alliances But the whole issue with Britain and I agree with the whole Brexit issue, by the way, I'm probably in the minority on that. But I actually agree because I think that what's important is that um, you have they want their own sovereignty. And what I hear you saying, Butch, as a Trump 2020 voter, but more as a American conservative is the states need to step up. The federal government intrudes in places it doesn't belong it's overtaken too much. The The founder's vision for this country was the 10th Amendment, right? Those powers that's not right. expressly reserved to the federal government are hereby reserved to the states. That's all the 10th Amendment says. Go ahead.
1: Okay, just to be clear, that's my position as American conservative. I, I don't think that's necessarily
0: the overriding issue with most trump voters okay what do you think that is quickly because we're running out of time in this segment but go ahead and tell us help us if you can into the mind of the trump voter because i think you set the table well with this dialogue here
1: and i think it'll have to carry
0: over okay that's fine but the issue is that i think that the average trump voter has been
1: it's sort of circular in a way and so you have to pick your point but They've been accused of being racist and even privileged for the for uh, you know how many years? I mean, how long is that? Look, I've been I've been hearing this my entire life, like my entire life. So one of the funniest things, and it's hearing not what? Funny, funny. What have you heard? Hearing hearing that we finally need to have a conversation about race and racism, and that um, and that people. Um, and grading That all these people voted for Trump. They're shocked again that five extra million people voted for Trump. Because they don't go out and protest. They just say, okay, fine. All right. I'll tell you who I'll vote for. And that's it. And they go vote.
0: I that's think this is so important. Do. And I yeah. really I agree with you. Um, intellectually, you know, as a professor and intellectuals, you're a well-educated, man. I'm a well-educated woman. We can sit around with our coffee or with our drinks, and we can, you know, we sit in our ivory towers, let's be honest, but you're right, I grew up very working class, maybe a little bit lower than that, I mean, you know, we're, my grandma didn't even have a, a bathroom in her house up until, the, I think, the 1970s, you know, and it's a, you know, dead chickens, and I, so I grew up kind of a country girl, and my dad was in the military, and, and you know, as an African-American family, you know, in the 70s, Uh, I feel I feel privileged that I didn't grow up like my grandparents did during Jim Crow right or my parents so I'm the first generation of which I'm older than you but you know we're we're a part of I'm a Gen Xer Uh, we're we're a part of that generation where we're really the first test case generation and I want to wrap this first segment we'll get into the second one but we're, we're really a part of that first test case post civil rights generation right and you're right, you make a good point. We've been talking about talking about this forever. When are we going to get down to actually talking about it and not... And I want to really say this to my black listeners. Hear me, hear me on this. This is important because I've said this many times. A dialogue and a conversation has to be two or more people actually having a conversation. It can't be me talking or me yelling and the other person's not able to speak or be heard. And I have talked to many uh, white friends, neighbors, family members, who, when they're being honest, as you were just honest, say, I just really feel like I can't say anything because if I say something, I'm going to be called a racist. And I don't like that. And I think that's awful. And particularly, I'm going to go back to this, which is the term racism. Go look it up, folks. Part of what's happening here, and Butch, you hit on this earlier, the media plays us off of each other. I say this is a prominent member of the media. They play us off of each other because it, it, it helps with ratings. It helps with money. It helps with all those things. And racism is a, a term that's so loaded, just like socialism, that if you don't understand it, you don't even know what you're talking about. But do you have any thoughts on that as we wrap this first part?
1: Yeah, no, I do. I uh, One of the things that Great Conversations does... Uh, we do it on Facebook and on our website. Uh, is definitions of terms. We don't have discussions on the internet, we just have uh, we just have definitions, right? And so, the first one we did was liberal, and then we did one uh, on politics, and number three was racism, and that was obviously one of the more uh, uh you know, one of the more active uh, uh-huh. discussions we uh-huh. had on the definition of racism what does it actually mean? and i think just like socialism just like capitalism just like and that was the last one um, the people people are not they're not really defining their terms they're not letting people um, they're not letting many people are not letting others say what's on their mind because what they're what they're seeking to do is to share their truth with them right they're trying to speak truth and and, and there's this sort of there's this whole cottage of in- industry out of not just identity politics, but sort of identitarianism, like where, you know, whatever box you put yourself in or whoever, whoever you're, you know, you're unique and, 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 uh, and, uh, um, special you is then you have to express that and everyone has to respect and love mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. And that's not always going to happen. Right. Right. and so right. once you start with a premise that everybody's supposed to respect and love and agree with you and think you're awesome and no one's supposed to ever question <laughs> your choices oh if life
0: were what. such wow if life were really like that right boy right. what a wonderful that's, life it but would that's be that's the world we're in we have an entire
1: like I said a cottage industry around identitarianism That's absolutely like true. I said it's only half the politics the other half is cultural and it makes it it's a form of narcissism which I think is 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 making it harder for people to have conversations because if I disagree with you then I'm just questioning your I'm questioning your identity which is not the way disagreements work
0: absolutely so folks here's what we're gonna do we're going to wrap the first part of this conversation which is I know this is gonna be a hot one so I'm excited about it but I'm gonna wrap this and then we're gonna pick up with a part two segment and I'll have these running you know we'll do the first part and then we'll do the second part so you can have them available and then, of course, there's always, the social media team going to put up clips and teasers. So I think we'll probably do this as Monday's uh, podcast instead of uh, our normal Saturday segment because this is just going to be too long. And I want to make sure I give this a lot of exposure because I really like the dialogue. So we're going to end part one and then we're going to come back and we'll have part two. So come back and join us in a few moments. Thank you.